What's up, everybody? Before we get the podcast started, I have a little favor to ask of you. Um, My city, Jacksonville, Florida, is having this contest for this uh, big magazine in our city called the Folio Weekly, and you can vote on the best original band and best restaurant, blah, blah, blah. In the description of this podcast, there will be a link where you can vote on best original band in Jacksonville. And I I would ask that you would please vote for my band Dancing with Ghosts. And then you can vote for best podcast in Jacksonville. And I would love it if you voted for Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries and got us some, uh, you know, local recognition. That'd be really tight. So uh, on to the Himalaya ad. Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If so, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you. Aww. Along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use! Exclamation point. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours, too. Uh, so do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 159 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Saturday, 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 Saturday. You know what's going on. Lackluster Elton John impressions done by myself and Mr. Michelle Brown, who is back in the podcast co-host chair. Yes, I'm back for the attack. So what the fuck's been going on with us, man? Why haven't we been able to like get together and shit and like the original band, man? What what's up with all these fill-ins and, and hired it's guns? Just, it's just uh scheduling issues between the both of us. Uh, um last week I actually had Wednesday off, but uh we just weren't able to make that work. Because Josh had some things that he was trying to get done, um, so Mike, by the time, why don't you tell him why why we really haven't been hosting together? I know, <laughs> I know, we said we weren't going to mention it, but fuck it, I'm all about being honest. Now that you're on the spot, I caught Mike in bed with my wife. <laughs> he was painting her toenails, and they was watching Scary Movie Three. And I, uh, I said, what the hell? Scary movie three. I just couldn't believe Mike had such poor movie taste. And ever since then, I just I just haven't wanted to hear his voice, honestly. <laughs> That's the real reason why we haven't been. Have you have you have you seen the scary movie three? I've not. Uh, actually, I think I saw it when it came out, but I, I don't remember it. It's the first scary movie is. And Here's pretty much all I remember. I remember about Scary Movie Three. Leslie Nielsen is in it. He played the president. There's it's a signs. There's a signs parody in it. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, Charlie Sheen, I think, is one of the main cast members. And I remember one scene where I guess the aliens had this weird form of greeting where they like kick you in the balls or something. Oh god! And then they like pee from their fingers. Yeah, that's what uh, I remember about Scary Movie Three. That shit's. Uh, did, did anyone at any point ever think that was funny? I mean, I look. But at, here's the thing: that film's really frustrating 
because it's the Zucker brothers, and those two have done some really just hilarious classic comedies. Airplane, the Naked Gun. Like, well, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, it was such a step down for the Zucker brothers. It was it was astonishing. I, I think it, maybe I don't know if it was both of them. I think it might have just been one of the Zucker brothers. Could it be like the, still, the choice of riders bad. that they pick or something? Um, if I remember correctly, uh, they they did a lot of the writing for their the their classic films. Hmm. Um, but Scary Movie three. I love how I just like pulled this movie reference just directly out of my ass, and Mike has all this shit to say about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, this was written by Greg Craig Mazin and Pat Proft. Now the Zucker brothers. They usually, yeah, they produced a lot of the films that they did. Yeah, he, yeah, they were writers on Airplane and Top Secret, so, and Naked Gun. So they did do a lot of the writing for those films. If anyone ever doubts that this is uh, in any way pre-planned or pre-whatever, here's your proof right here that it's, I literally pulled that movie out of my ass. (laughs) And Mike's like, well, actually, it's frustrating because the Zuckerberg, and it's like, I didn't. Yeah, who who else would know any of this shit besides Mike, the movie expert, you know? <laughs> like, what the fuck? I have other friends that, you know, know a lot of this stuff, but... I bet that... I bet that's an interesting Friday night with all you guys together. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so, yeah, like I was telling Mike off the podcast, I was going to tell him why it's it's the time it is that we're doing the podcast and why I probably sound like a beat-down rug right now. Um... Well, unsurprisingly, I went out drinking last night, and I had a stupid wedding that I had to do today at, uh, I had to, I had to, the wedding started at noon, so I had to get up at, I know, everyone's going, wah, right now, (laughs) I know, I know, I hear your, your mocking from all the way in Jacksonville here, but I had to get up at like 10, and this is coming from someone who normally gets up at like 1.30, and I went to yeah, bed. I went, yeah. I went to bed at like five thirty. And not to mention, I got pretty right drunk last night. And so yeah, I just, I just feel like shit today. Uh, I feel good enough now to where I can do this podcast, and it might be funny. It might not be. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to do it today. But you know, if if it doesn't get done today, then you know we're going on into next week, and uh, blah blah blah, and whatever. I. Even though Himalaya hasn't thrown me any sponsors in fucking forever, I still ha- I still feel a, a uh, allegiance to our dedicated listeners to give them a, a podcast every week. So here I am. And that wedding was the, uh, <clears throat> that was the most basic wedding I've ever done. Like I was like I was getting paid very little for it compared to what I normally get paid. So I didn't even like so... I didn't even dress up in like my suit. I just wore jeans and a button down black shirt. So that wedding definitely did not rock like a hurricane. N- no. <laughs> what? Where did that reference? I mean, I know it's a Scorpion song, but because you said "Here I Am." Oh, oh. Anyway, um. So yeah, I showed up and like nobody was dressed up for this wedding. Like their idea of being dressed up was like what you might wear if you were going to go to like Applebee's or something. 
Like not uh, not quite Walmart, but definitely not like so jeans, uh, jeans you know, a, pe- a buttoned up shirt, maybe a buttoned up shirt or like a polo collared shirt or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty much the, that was pretty much the attire. A lot of uh, 10 gallon hats. I mean, we are in the <laughs> south. What do you expect with that? But um, yeah, I mean, the guy just they told me the song that she wanted to quote walk down the aisle to five minutes before she walked down the aisle. And I'm like, you know, five minutes yeah, before. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> I tried contacting these people ahead of time to like figure out this kind of shit because I had a feeling that this was going to happen with how little money they were paying me. I, I just figured they they weren't treating this wedding very seriously and it didn't mean yeah. didn't mean that much to them personally. So I, I thankfully I had the song she wanted and it, it, it was all figured out. It was all. What song was it? It was uh, actually a song I like. It was called uh, From This Moment by Shania Twain. Oh, um, OK. I actually I actually do like the song, but I had to cut it off right at the good part where they do that little harmony in oh. the uh, towards the middle or whatever, because mm-hmm. she had, you know, walked down the proverbial aisle, which was just some kind of makeshift area outside of this barn where some chairs were you know aligned to the left and to the right you know there's something to be said about you know uh a wedding that's a little bit more simple and and not as grand you know that's the only weddings they ever have here in fucking jacksonville is these barn weddings is what i like to call them i feel like i've done every fucking barn in jacksonville at this point and the surrounding areas it's like every time i think i've done the last wedding reception barn there's a fucking new barn it's like god could could you guys try any harder to enforce a stereotype we built this barn just for this wedding <laughs> i and you know this, the crazy thing is some of them are like really nice and i, I find yeah. my i find myself having to like yeah. in, admit out loud like well, wow I this mean, is a nice barn i i mean hey whatever works i mean uh Weddings are not cheap, and a lot of these, a lot of people spend God knows how much money on the wedding. Oh, yeah. And no, it, no, they're, they're very to expensive. me, I just think that that's just a waste of resources. Yeah. No, it's, it's a one time thing. Yeah. No, it's, 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 uh, you know, I don't know. But I want my dream wedding. Well, you know, do you want to be able to afford to live? <laughs> Beyond your means or at your means, because uh, the only way you're having a dream wedding is if we take out a loan. <laughs> or, and I don't want to be paying off some fucking. Or if your parents are wealthy. Loan, yeah, that too. I don't want to be paying off a loan just for a wedding. Like, come on. Yeah, I I don't know. I I think funerals and weddings are both overrated, and they should not be as expensive as they are. And I mean, like for because my- I mean, it, it honestly is a little bit superficial if you think about it, especially well, with the yeah. wedding thing. Oh yeah, it's like I mean, this is me. supposed to be about the love that you supposedly share for one another. Like, if you really love each other, like that shouldn't even matter. It just just. You get married and you have it on a piece of paper and you get the legal document taken care of and you go on your honeymoon wherever the heck you want to and you spend the money that you might have spent on some grand lavish wedding on your honeymoon. Yeah, that's the funny thing that people don't realize. There's so many things about weddings that are just fake and and they're just basically for photo ops and shit. Like yeah. the funny thing, it's like they do this whole ceremony, right? And this whole like, you know, we're brought here 
under God and the family and all they say all this bullshit that sounds really, you know, whatever, sounds really mm-hmm. lofty and grandiose. But the fact of the matter is they had just signed the marriage license like t- 20 minutes before. Yeah. You know, so it's like they're already married. Nothing is actually happening. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> on the aisle or whatever when they make their I do's. They already did the uh, non-sexy, non-romantic paperwork in the, uh, you know, little hut. Before yeah, they're, they... they're not like, uh, now, uh, do you take this, you know, do you take him to be your lawfully wedded, you know, husband or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, and then, all right, sign this. Like, yeah. Not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and like, as soon as they they sign their names on the dotted line, the doves fly in the air. Yeah, and, you know, there's like no. And, and like <laughs> nine times out of ten, the day of the fucking wedding, the the bride, especially the bride, but the bride and groom are so goddamn stressed out and over it that they just yeah. want they just want it to be over. Like, yeah. and it's supposed to be this special day, and it's really just for the family and, and extended friends and all that i mean i don't know from all Uh every time i've been to a wedding i've never really met a couple that has been super jazzed about their wedding they're just i mean there are people like that i mean you know the watch the reality shows where you know the bridezillas oh yeah because you know reality television is real life no it isn't but i mean sometimes it is though i think the only time are some (laughs) there are there i think it might depend on the region like, if you're doing more uh, weddings, like, in L.A. or, you know, California or something, spoiled rich kids, then, yeah, you probably get more well, of yeah. the bridezilla I think, action going on. I think, it, I, think, I think the more of a narcissist you are, the more you get off to, like, your wedding day, you know? Like, yeah. the actual festivities that are going down. Like, oh, my God, it's my day, motherfucker. No one yeah. better tell me shit. You know, uh-huh. pay attention to me. Look at me. Look at my dress. You know, and, <laughs> and then the grooms over there all every single time just fucking downing their whiskey flask that they have in their <laughs> coat pocket because they just so don't want to do it. <laughs> I think I've met. I think I've done maybe like two weddings where the groom was like more enthusiastic than the bride, and it's always <laughs> it's always a weird dynamic when the that is that totally would be. Yeah. I'm just thinking about that. It's just like. Oh man, I'm so excited! Usually, I'm so excited to get married. Usually, to it's be one a of those. Groom. It's one. <laughs> it's one of those situations where the 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 dynamic is the woman is very passive and, and soft spoken, yeah. and the guy does all the talking. It's one of those kind of yeah. relationships. Man, we milked a lot of time out of talking about weddings. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, though this is a podcast about uncovering unexplained mysteries. Uh, you wouldn't think so. Uh, you would think this is like the official podcast of WeddingWire.com or something, but <laughs> it's not. I can assure you, um, WeddingWire is well, actually Well, that's one topic website. we hadn't really discussed yet, which I'm surprised we didn't since you do so many weddings. You yeah. DJed so many weddings. And I actually, the craziest thing happened uh, late uh, recently. So this lady who listens to my band, Dancing With Ghosts, uh, she listens to our band on Spotify. I don't know her from Adam. She hits me up on our email address. I don't even know how she finds our email address because it doesn't really say on Spotify. But she hits us up and she proposes to me for our band to travel to Wisconsin to play at their wedding. And I'm like, what? And I, the, the more I start talking to her, I'm like, are you sure that, you know, we're the right band? Because, we're you know, we're not exactly like family friendly. And she's like, oh, no, <laughs> trust me. 
we're 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 not going to have a traditional wedding. We totally want bands and this that and the other. And so then somehow or another got brought up to where it's like, well, do you have a DJ? And she's like, no, not yet. And I was like, well, shit, pay me this amount of money and I'll DJ your wedding and perform there as Dancing with Ghosts. So she sent the deposit yesterday. So it's wow. it's happening in in wow. June of 2020. Congrats. Yeah. Congratulations. It probably sounds like a nice be would be a nice little upfront payment. Oh no, I I never want payment up front because then by the time the wedding comes, I feel like I'm working for free. Oh okay. I, it's that just a psychological thing for me. I have them giving me I have them give me like uh, you know a hundred dollars or so for a deposit. Okay, so it's a deposit. All right. Yeah, and then day of it, it, that's that's <laughs> either the day before or the day of is when I like. That's it. interesting. Yeah, like you just feel like oh I'm working for free. Well, yeah, even though... because think about it. But I it. get it if you know it's further down. The you know I I, I get that. Yeah, it's like uh say say Mike you're a wedding DJ and you have a wedding in February and you're pay uh -huh. and they're paying you eight hundred dollars. And in the span of the next two months, they pay you a hundred dollars here, a hundred dollars there, and they eventually pay you off. Yeah. You spend that money; it's by fucking November, it's gone, like just yeah. gone with the wind. Yeah. And then you yeah. go through December and January, and then finally mm -hmm. February comes around, and you got to show up and put on a good, you know, do a kick-ass yeah. job doing the wedding. And at the end of it, you don't get dick unless they tip yeah. you. And yeah. it just—it's a shitty feeling. I—I—I I think I've yeah. done that once, and I—I I never want the money up front unless it's just the deposit for like a just to show that they're serious. I get it. But yeah, so we're gonna be uh, dancing with ghosts. Going to be doing a tour in June of 2020, uh, heading up to Wisconsin. But we're gonna be traveling through Chicago, and um, I think some cities in Tennessee and Atlanta again, probably and. Whatever else is on the way to Wisconsin. So if you live in those areas and would like to see us play in possibly in your city, hit us up and uh, we'll see if we can make that happen. It sounds like it'll be pretty, uh, you know, you'd be gone for a while. It's a buddy so. movie. It's a potential buddy <laughs> movie with me and Stephanie. It sounds like you, you two will be gone for a while. So yeah, um, but it's going to be at least a week, probably. So just might be a, a week off. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Unless we want to do one ahead of time or something, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of Stephanie, this is actually a case that she mentioned, apparently. Yeah, that's where um, I got the idea from, because she brought it up, and yeah. I was like, oh shit, I remember that guy. And yeah, we've never we never talked about him, even though I believe Morgan said that she brought it up. Morgan from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, yep. our faithful listener of nine years. Yep. So, uh... The first case we're going to be talking about is the infamous case of Rodney Alcala, the dating game killer. Yeah. Now, I think like most people probably have like a working knowledge of who this guy is because he's been on several mm -hmm. shows and documentaries. Well, not him personally, but his case. And mm -hmm. they always show that one clip of him from the dating game back in like the 70s. And he's on yeah. there and. And it's like, yeah, this guy was on a TV show and he murdered people, which I'm sure he's not the only like serial killer. I think Te I think Ted Bundy might have been on one, too. If I remember correctly. I mean, you think of a show like Price is Right. How many like rapists, pedos and murderers have won and been on Price is Right? You know what I mean? I don't know. It's been on for, sure. for 40, <laughs> what, 42 years or some crazy thing like that. 48 years. I'd want to see the statistics first. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, before I'd make that kind every of single uh, determination. They, that show is like every single day for the past four. There's got to yeah. be like several. I mean, 
I don't know. Mm. It's just creepy to think about. Anyway. But I think I think the dating game killer, the thing that really makes I guess it makes this so memorable to a lot of people, uh, and really sticks in their mind is just how surreal it is. Yeah. So his appearance on the dating game. I'll tag you in whenever I feel like it. All right. For most people, September 13th, 1978 was an ordinary Wednesday. But for Cheryl Bradshaw, the bachelorette on the TV show Matchmaker, Matchmaking Game, the dating game, I butchered that <laughs> sentence. I'm off to a good start, off to a solid start. The bachelorette on the TV matchmaking show The Dating Game, that day was momentous for her, the bachelorette, Cheryl Bradshaw. Good Lord. <laughs> off to a great start. This might be funny. You don't sound hungover at no, all, really. No, not tired or burnout at all. This might be funny to some people, so I'm leaving it in. Anyway, <laughs> from a lineup of, quote, eligible bachelors, she chose handsome bachelor number one, Rodney Alcala. Alcala, whatever. I'll call you. I'll call you when I get home. Anyway, but at that very moment, he was keeping a deadly secret. He was an unrepentant serial killer. Bradshaw, if not for a healthy jolt of women's intuition, would almost certainly be remembered today as one of Alcala's victims. Instead, after the show ended, she conversed with Alcala backstage. He offered her a date she'd never forget, but Bradshaw got the feeling that her handsome potential suitor was a little off. Quoting her here, I started to feel ill, Bradshaw told the Sydney Telegraph in 2012. He was acting really creepy. I turned down his offer. I didn't want to see him again. I can only imagine what he did or said to like throw yeah. her off that well, much. Well, I mean, just watch or or folks listen to this actual audio from hid from the from the dating game appearance by this serial killer. Well, I guess that he sounds like a fucking serial killer. I, I guess that seals me having to insert this clip. So here, yeah. here it is. Their name, age, occupation, or income. Okay, and we're going to start by having them say hello to you and see how they sound. Number one, would you say hello to Cheryl, please? We're going to have a great time together, Cheryl. Okay. And here we go. Bachelor number one. Yes. What's your best time? The best time is at night. Nighttime. Why do you say that? Because that's the only time there is. The only time? What's wrong with uh, morning, afternoon? Well, they're okay, but nighttime is when it really gets good. Then you're really ready. I'm a drama teacher. And I'm going to audition each of you for my private class. Bachelor number one. You're a dirty old man. Take it. Oh, come on, over here. dinner. Oh. What are you called and what do you look like? I'm called the banana and I look really good. Uh, can you be a little more descriptive? Peel me. Later, bachelor one. Later. <laughs> 
Welcome back to the dating game. And Cheryl, we have reached the moment of truth, as we call it. You've heard from the bachelors. You've got some great dramatic presentations, some good answers. But now I'm going to ask you a question. Will that date be bachelor number one, bachelor number two, or bachelor number three? Who gets the dates? Well, I like bananas, so I'll take one. Number one, bachelor number one. All right. Well, there they go. However, you did leave one remaining, and this is your date, and I want to tell you something about him, Cheryl. He's a skydiver, so he's got a lot of nerve, he's into motorcycling, he's also a fine photographer. Say hello to Rodney Alcala. Rodney, come on and say hello. Congratulations, Rod, you did it with a one answer. Well, as far so yeah i mean he's yeah he sounds like a fucking serial killer like he sounds like somebody who is demented who's fucked in the head who you don't want to date let alone be anywhere near i mean am i alone here but why did she choose him in the first place i I, I don't know i don't get it i guess she found him sexy i i didn't find his attempts at trying to be uh charming or anything like that uh but then again, I'm not the intended audience. But still, I mean, I'm I'd, lo- I'd like to, you know, hear from some of the gals listening. Like, what do, does is that attractive to you? Like, is is that something that like really is that a turn on? Like, is I I don't know. I mean, the guy sounds like he's just fucking crazy. He had a lot of people fooled. I mean, everyone who knew him, he was able to manipulate, and he was able to manipulate his way into you know prestige. But in this particular instance i don't know how anybody could watch that or listen to that and be like yeah this guy's totally sane yeah so anyway on another one of the episodes bachelor another one of the episodes bachelors jed mills recalled to la weekly that quote rodney was kind of quiet i remember him because i told my brother about this one guy who was kind of good looking but kind of creepy he was always looking down and not making eye contact had the popular dating show performed background checks on their bachelors, they would have discovered this kind of good-looking but kind of creepy guy had already spent three years in prison for raping and beating an eight-year-old girl. He'd done the same to a 13-year-old, too. Which landed him on the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list. Good lord. Talk about dropping the ball on vetting yeah. vetting your fucking like seriously dating game. <laughs> But sometimes a background check can't even uncover the whole story. In Rodney Alcala's case, the whole story consisted of at least four prior murders that he hadn't been definitively linked to yet. As you can probably imagine, Cheryl Bradshaw's rejection likely only fueled Alcala's fire. In total, before and after his television appearance, a sadistic dating game killer claimed that he had killed between 50 and 100 people. Rodney Alcala was born in San Antonio, Texas in 1943. His father moved the family to Mexico when Alcala was eight years old, only to abandon them there three years later. His mother then moved Alcala and his sisters to suburban Los Angeles. At age 17, Alcala entered the army as a clerk, but after a nervous breakdown, he was medically discharged due to mental health issues. Then, the intelligent young man with an IQ of 135 went on to attend UCLA. But he wouldn't stay on the straight and narrow for long. Like many serial killers, Rodney Alcala had a style. His signatures were beating, biting, raping, and strangling, often choking victims into the point of unconsciousness. Then once they came to, 
he'd start the process over again. On his first known attempt at killing, he was successful at only two of these things. The victim was Tali Shapiro, an eight-year-old girl he lured into his Hollywood apartment in 1968. And this is just a horrific uh, crime. Um, And honestly, all of his crimes were horrific. But this was something straight out of uh, a a horror film. Because the documentary we watched was like an ID discovery documentary about the true story of the dating killer. And... I think one of the police uh, investigators has interviewed and he was talking about this, the scene of the crime and how there's this pipe that apparently he was using to strangle her. Yeah. And it was on the ground and there was just this massive amount of blood, so much blood that the police officer was like, I, you, it's hard for you to even believe that this you know this 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 much blood could come from such a young girl and she actually survived but man like that's just i mean it's just the brutality of it is something that just leaves you speechless yeah i mean a pipe yeah i mean yeah, that uh, this is, you know, much like the BTK and, you know, all these other yeah. psycho fucks that mm-hmm. these infamous serial killers that we cover. It's like, I, you know, I, I, I can never know that mindset. But to them, clearly human life doesn't mean the same thing as it, no. that it does to everybody well, else. What makes it even worse, though, is that, like, this guy, okay, he gets, he goes to prison, he gets a trial for this, and he gets let off. Didn't he get like a year or something in prison or less than that? And then he was back out on the on the streets. Yeah. Yeah, surprisingly he they... Like that part really like stunned me. I was like, "What the f- really?" <laughs> like this guy clearly is not right for society even at this particular time period. Like this is it's obvious. It's in neon letters that Lock this guy up and throw away the key, because if you don't, he's gonna, he's gonna actually kill somebody next time. Yeah. So Shapiro barely survived her rape and beating. Her life saved by a passerby who'd reported a tip to police on a possible abduction. Alcala fled his apartment when the police arrived and remained a fugitive for years afterward. He moved to New York and used the alias John Berger to enroll in film school at New York University, where, ironically enough, he stud- studied under Roman Polanski. A infamous film director who fled the country due to rape allegations. Of a minor, and, right? Yeah, of a minor. Um, and R- Roman Polanski... Oh, now, now, now the filmmaker side of Mike is coming out. <laughs> film critic. So Roman Polanski is a filmmaker that it seems like a lot of people in Hollywood have just given him a pass. Like, oh, it happened so long ago. The victim, she's, she's, uh, she's uh, come to terms with it. You know, da 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 da. Like she's even said, like, oh, it's water under the bridge, whatever. But like the guy is never faced faced it i think the statute of limitations has expired but still like the guy's still not 
in the U.S. He's, he's still like out outside of the country, like a fugitive. Like, I mean, that's some shady fucking shit. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I get it. He's made some films that are that are have some really great cinematography. His direction is quite good, but like, what are some? What are his? Seems like he might have been a, a pretty fucking awful person. Well, so, what I were mean, some of his popular films? Rosemary's Baby. Oh wow, yeah, that's that's one of his biggest, uh, one of the the most popular films that he's done. But then again, there's a lot of people separate the art from the artist, you know, that whole thing. Right. But I make exceptions to that. Normally, like, for instance, uh, let's take an actor like Robert Downey Jr. I mean, for a good chunk of his his life, he was involved with drugs. He was involved with getting arrested numerous times. He was a total troublemaker. And now he's uh, he's straight and narrow. He's Iron Man. He's Sherlock Holmes, you know, he's a he's a Hollywood comeback success story. I don't look at Robert Downey Jr. and I don't look at him like, oh, he's a he's a cokehead, you know, is the you know I, it's I am able to separate the art from the artist when it comes to that instance. Or for instance with Mel Gibson when he said some really fucked up shit in the past, but he's apologized for it time and time again. He was one of the few people that actually supported Robert when he was trying to do his comeback. And it seems like he's got his own issues. In fact, during that time, he was dealing with bipolar and some other uh, mental uh, issues along with alcoholism and all of that. And he's he's been very humble, and uh, I, I, I've forgiven him for it. But... When it comes to something like rape, like it, I can't. I'm sorry. Like it's 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 an actual. It's a crime that is more than just. It, it's more serious than something where you say some bad words or something like that's something where you know it's offensive, but it, it, it's something that I feel that we can kind of get over. With enough time, the punishment as long should as, fit the crime. Exactly, the punishment should fit the crime, and it doesn't matter how prolific the filmmaker is. If they're a fucking rapist, like that's that's it. Sorry, like career over, done. <laughs> I I and but that 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 doesn't that's not how it works. Because look at Victor Salva. I don't know if you're familiar with Victor Salva, but Victor Salva is the director of the Jeepers Creepers films. And if you look at some of those films nowadays, and you know that this guy's a pedophile, it's really kind of dirty. It makes you feel dirty watching some of these movies because he has scenes in them where it's has a pedo-y kind of point of view, which makes sense because he himself is a pedophile. And he's a convicted pedophile. Like, he went to jail... He, uh, because he raped the young star of a film he directed called Clown House. He raped the kid. I think he actually shot video. And he was arrested and he was tried for it. But 
Hollywood still, people are still giving him jobs, still letting him direct, still letting him do things. And there's still people to this day who are like, separate the art from the artist when it comes to Victor Salva. I'm like, he's a fucking pedophile. Yeah, let's try to steer this back into this guy. <laughs> I know, it's just, but when you mention Roman Polanski, it just... I apologize. It's alright. But it kind of does tie into some things. Both are deviants. Yeah. So, anyway, um... After being recognized thanks to an FBI poster, Alcala was finally identified as the perpetrator in the rape and attempted murder of Tally Shapiro. He was arrested in 1971, but only sent to prison on charges of assault. Yeah. Shapiro's family kept her from testifying, making a rape conviction unattainable. After spending three years behind bars, he soon spent another two years in prison for assaulting a 13-year-old. Then authorities regrettably let parole let uh, parolee and flight risk Alcala travel to New York to, quote, visit relatives. Investigators now believe that within seven days of his arrival there, he killed a college student named Elaine Hoover, Hover, Hoover? I don't know, who was the daughter of popular Hollywood nightclub owner and goddaughter of both Sammy Davis. Hover? Hover, there you go. Uh, he was the, uh, she was the goddaughter of Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin, yeah. two of the Rat Pack. Mm -hmm. uh, soon after all this, Alcala somehow got a job at the Los Angeles Times as a typesetter in 1978. That, <laughs> wow. that, that just sounds like an obsolete job. I don't know what a typesetter yeah. is, but it sounds like like the printing press where you're setting the uh, sentences up uh -huh. block by block. And you That's probably what he was doing. <laughs> That's hilarious. All these old ass jobs that no longer exist. Um, under his real name, which was now attached to a substantial criminal record. A typist by day, by night, he lured in young girls to be a part of his professional photography portfolio. Some of them never to be heard from again. Now go back and listen to Alcala tell Bachelorette Bradshaw, quote, the best time is at night. Absolutely chilling stuff, which is, you'll, mm, you'll hear in the clip. Yeah. But, you know, that's funny, the whole, like, predator, male predator with the camera thing, because... That that is actually something that is uh, a lot more common than I think people think. Like this guy, a guy will mm -hmm. get a camera and he, he kind of uses that as like a backdoor way of like getting creepy with uh, pretty girls, you know? Cause, well, yeah, because there's some girls like they they do they they're very attracted to the idea of having their photo taken. Yeah, like oh, I can do a great photo shoot with you and 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 make yeah. beautiful pictures and all that. And I knew this one guy who. Uh, was like that with like three like three of my friends I want to say and he did mm -hmm. take their pictures and it looked good but he apparently was uh very creepy very like you know trying to I guess what's the word uh groom them to a certain extent yeah. so yeah mm -hmm. it, it 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 makes sense that he would use his whole photography angle now I'm not trying to say that any, you know all all dudes with a camera who want to take pictures of uh females are you know creepy or anything like that but uh, that that does sometimes. I would happen. say a, a large percentage of them probably are. I mean, it's just the whole, especially people you don't know, and it's not an actual like photo shoot or anything. Like it's not. It's a professional photographer who's on location shooting models. Well, that's what I'm talking know, on about. A beach. I'm but like, if it's like a guy who just has a camera and is like, oh, I'm a photographer. You know, no, I'm not talking about. I take that. your picture. You know that. that that's 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 the one where it's like, ew, that's that's pretty skeevy. 
I see someone in our group fixed the uh, meme from uh, Kool Aid. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. It's even better now. Hey guys, if you want if, if you want to join our awesome uh, podcast group, go to Facebook and search "Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries" in the uh, groups section and uh, join our group. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool. I like it. I like our group. Um, but anyway, uh, the year after the dating game appearance, seventeen-year-old Leanne Leadham was lucky enough to walk away unscathed from a photo shoot with Rodney Alcala. And she, she remarked how he, quote, showed her his portfolio, which in addition to shots of women included spread after spread of naked teenage boys. Ooh. Police have since released a part of Alcala's portfolio to the public to aid in victim identification. These photos are still available to, available to view. Over the years, a few have stepped forward to reveal their horrifying moment with this predator. Um, the case that would finally break Rodney Alcala's killing spree was that of 12-year-old Robin Samso. She disappeared from Huntington Beach, California on her way to ballet class on June 20th, 1979. Samso's friends said that a stranger approached them on the beach and asked if they wanted to do a photo shoot. They declined and Samso left, borrowing a friend's bike to hardly get to ballet. At some point between the beach and class, Samso disappeared. Nearly 12 years later, a park ranger found her animal-ravaged bones in a forested area near the Pasadena foothills of the Sierra Madre. In this documentary, they interview the mother, and there's a particular moment in this documentary that is just heart-wrenching, where she's talking about when she was discussing... What what had, what had happened, you know, to to her daughter? You know, the police had found the body, and it took a long time for them to identify her. Yeah, and she's like, it took a long time. She's like, yeah. "What's wrong with you? How hard is it to identify a little blonde girl?" And blah 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 blah. And the mm -hmm. and then the detective grabbed her and kind of shook her and said, "She didn't have hair when we found her." Yeah, she had no hair, which was creepy as fuck. Like he, I, he did, he didn't even. He just says like, "There was no hair." Yeah, <laughs> there was no. I don't mean, and I don't was, mean to and laugh. He did, it, he did it in a way that was like just tears were streaming right. down his face. Like, and the way that she said it, you know, that like you could feel that like right in the pit of your heart. Like just right there. You're just like, oh, damn. Yeah. Um, so anyway, upon questioning Samso's friend, a police sketch artist drew up a composite and Alcala's former parole officer recognized the face. Between the sketch, Alcala's criminal past, and the discovery of Samso's earrings in Alcala's Seattle storage locker, police felt confident that they had had their man. But and speaking of the earrings, like Alcala's trying to pawn off these earrings as his own. Like He's trying to be like, oh no, those are my earrings. <laughs> And uh, then the mother comes in and she actually checks. She gets a chance to take a look at the earrings. And she's like, no, like, there's these, uh, what is that, like, uh, gold, um, like, gold ball pin earrings. Yeah, that, that, she, she, that she, she got for her daughter or whatever that were specifically. Well, no, she they were hers, but her daughter would uh, borrow them oh, okay, that's quite right. often. Yeah, so um, beginning with the trial in 1980, Samso's family would have to follow a rather long and winding road to justice. 
The jury found Alcala guilty of first-degree murder, and he received the death penalty. However, the California Supreme Court overturned this verdict due to the yep. jury being pre prejudiced, they felt, by learning of Alcala's past sex crimes. It took only it took six years to put him back on trial. Here here's an issue I have with with uh I get it. I understand why things are set up this way. The jury isn't supposed to know about their past, blah blah blah. But in this particular instance, like I think it's something that they should know, to be perfectly honest. Because this is a guy who clearly is deranged, who clearly is dangerous, who already would have killed a girl previously before, but she just was blessed with the chance to live despite his brutal attack, which he was clearly intending to kill her. Uh, he was—he didn't want her to live, right? And I get it; they're there so innocent people don't have people looking at their criminal record and whatever. But if you have like a criminal record of like petty crimes, and then you're being you know on trial for like some serious, you know, murder or something, that's those are two different things. If you already have a criminal record of escalating crime that's violent and dangerous and murderous, then to me it should just be a part of the investigative process. I mean that the fucking investigators are looking at that. The pro <laughs> right. So I, why, yeah. why are the why why is it that the jury can't? Have that information. That's like whenever you get pulled over as someone who has a DUI, they're going to see on your record when they run your tag that you have had a DUI in the past. So they're going to be tainted and prejudiced to the fact that, you know, I, I, I definitely, need, you know, am going to grill this guy more so, you know, if I pull him over yeah. than someone who doesn't have that on their record. And that's legal mm -hmm. and that's fine. So... You know, why? And, and yeah, I mean, like you said, the investigators are looking at this stuff. So why the fuck shouldn't the jury know about it? And like, there's so many cases that I've seen, like on Unsolved Mysteries and other crime documentaries, uh, yeah. where there'll be like one important detail to the case or one important piece of evidence. But for whatever the reason, the judge doesn't allow it to be entered into evidence. And it's like, nope. man, if you entered that into evidence, this would be an open and shut fucking case. What are you talking about? Yeah. You can't enter that into evidence. Why not? Mm -hmm. And I get it. Justice is blind. And, you know, they're on trial for this one crime, not all their other past shit. But, man, that just, I don't know, man. It just depends to me. It depends on how serious of a crime we're talking about. Exactly. You know, so. Like when we're talking about murder, then... Yeah, I, I think that should be fair game. Yeah, so anyway. Um, blah, 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 blah. What are the percentages anyway of someone who's on trial for murder or some other serious crime where they didn't do anything before? They don't have a criminal record of similar crimes. Like, I'm pretty sure the percentages are pretty low. But, you know, I get it. I understand why it's there. 
but I, I do think there could be some things that could be rearranged or yeah. you know, there could be exceptions made because I think that would honestly help and it might prevent people like this from continuing to kill. Yeah. Because it would have just been, all right, we see the pattern of behavior <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> you're you're going you're going to jail. We see that you're clearly fucked in the head and probably don't deserve to be a productive member of society. And for whatever reason, I don't know, man. I, I feel like if you murder someone like first degree, like I don't mm -hmm. really think you should ever get out. Cause no. like it's like, dude, you blew it. You killed another human being. Like, Unless it was one of the... Yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, unless it's something where you could be like, oh, you had a mental breakdown. Yeah, but then who's to say that's not going to happen again, you know? I mean, exactly. It's one thing to have a mental breakdown and like, I don't know. I would say, I would say in that instance, you'd give them a second chance in terms of as long as they're going to therapy, as long as they're getting help. But if that doesn't take, then yeah. I mean, throw away the key. So anyway, at the second, or at least put them in a mental, you know, yeah. hospital. At the second trial in 1986, another jury sentenced him to death. This one didn't stick either. A Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals panel overturned it in 2001. L.A. Weekly wrote, "Quote in part because the second trial judge did not allow a witness to back up the defense's claim that the park ranger who found Robin Samso's animal ravaged body in the mountains had been hypnotized what? by police investigators." hypnotized <laughs> I mean I know we 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 do know that police have used hypnosis before like uh, there's some all the cases time. we've talked about in the show where they were under hypnosis to try to uncover details of a license plate details, or a phone yeah. number or, yeah mm -hmm. something like that facial description Mm -hmm. finally in 2010 31 years after the murder a third trial was held just before the trial, Orange County Senior Deputy District Attorney, God, can he have any more fucking titles in his name? Matt Murphy told LA Weekly, quote, The 70s in California was insane as far as treatment of sexual predators. Rodney Alcala is a poster boy for this. It is a total comedy of outrageous stupidity. Well, that's some very sophisticated words there, Mr. Deputy Senior District Attorney. <laughs> it, like, I don't think they were that sophisticated. Oh, I'm it's being just sarcastic. <laughs> a total comedy of outrageous <laughs> stupidity. Like if, if if this senior deputy is describing something the same yeah. way that I would, that he's probably not fit for his job. Anyway, but I mean, this is the thing. I don't think somebody would probably say. I think that's a rather unique uh, way to put those words together, especially in this context, because I don't I don't see any comedy or humor in it at all. Well, I think it's I, a failure. I think he was saying the the complete joke of yeah. you know treating this stuff more seriously. So during the years he spent incarcerated, Alcala self published a book called "You the Jury," in which he proclaimed his innocence in the Samso case. He hotly contested the DNA swabs done on prisoners periodically for the police department's evidence bank. Alcala also brought two lawsuits against the California penal system. One for a slip and fall accident, and another for the prison's refusal to provide him with a low-fat menu. <laughs> okay, now that's I'm learning. A, in that in that one paragraph alone, I learned a lot about the prison system that I did not know. A, <laughs> I didn't know it was that easy for you to just write a book and get it published outside of prison. Yeah. B, 
I didn't know you could bring lawsuits against anybody if you're a prisoner, because you're a fucking prisoner. And C, if you're, because you're a prisoner, are they really going to give a fuck about a slip and fall that you have? I mean, you're not a normal citizen at that point, I would think. Like, you don't have those normal rights. And D, fucking loaf that menu. I'm sure that was laughed right out of court. Jesus. Did you provide me with a low-fat I mean, menu? I didn't get my lean cuisine. <laughs> um, yeah, so I see that you're trying to feed us some, um, eggs and grits. Do you have any vegan options? <laughs> like, Jesus, dude, what do you think? Alcala announced to much surprise that he would be his own lawyer in the third uh, trial. Wow. That's like your typical sociopath move, though. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I know better than everybody. I'm going to be my own lawyer. Even though now, 31 years after Samso's murder, investigators also had concrete evidence against him on four different murders from decades past, thanks to prison's DNA swabs. The prosecution was able to combine these new murder charges along with Robin Samso in the 2010 trial. During the 2010 trial, the jurors were in, a, were in for a bizarre ride. Rodney Alcala, acting as his own attorney, asked himself questions referring to himself as Mr. Alcala in a deep voice, which he would then answer. <laughs> oh my god. What 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 do you think that would sound like? I don't know what this dude's voice even sounds like, so I can't even do like an impersonation. I mean I heard it, but I don't remember it. it, it but I mean I mean it's just <laughs> just 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 imagining it it just sounds like a total, you know. So, uh, um, sideshow. Mr. Cannon, I mean, where where were you today on Saturday, October fifth, two thousand nineteen? Voice, you know, because you uh, gotta refer to yourself in the deep voice. <laughs> I, I went and DJed a wedding, and uh, then I ate some uh, McDonald's, and I took a nap. You know, like <laughs> the peculiar question and answer session continued for five hours. He told the jury that he was at Knott's Berry Farm at the time of Samso's murder played dumb on the other charges, and used an Arlo Guthrie song as part of his closing argument. This was so fucking creepy. He played this Arlo Guthrie song, yeah. where he's in the song he's talking mm -hmm. about, like, being at some restaurant and wanting to, like, murder everyone. Yeah. yeah. It was psychotic. It was, yep. it was fucking psychotic. Like, what are you thinking, dude? You should fire your legal counsel. So, Rodney Alcala simply stated that he didn't remember killing the other women. The only other witnesses, uh, witness for the defense, psychologist Richard Rappaport, offered the explanation that Alcala's, quote, memory, la memory lapse could be equated to his borderline yeah. personality disorder. That's what I was going to say. Like, he, he, there is a legitimate chance that he legitimately did not remember. But that doesn't mean he didn't do it. Right, exactly. <laughs> The jury, not surprisingly, found Alcala guilty of the four DNA-backed charges and also found him guilty of killing Samso. About fucking time. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Lord. A surprise witness at his sentencing was Tally Shapiro, the eight-year-old that he first tried to Whoa. murder. Um, Shapiro was there to witness as justice for Robin Samso, 12, Jill Barcombe, 18, Georgia Wixt, 27, Charlotte Lamb, 31, and Jill Parental, 21, had finally been achieved. The court handed Alcala the death penalty again for the third time. Since that trial, investigators have continued to link the quote-unquote dating game killer 
to many other cold case murders, including two to which he pled guilty in New York in 2013. And as of 2018, Robert or Rodney Alcala has not been executed. He sits on death row in Corcoran, Corcoran State Prison, California, planning an appeal for his third death sentence. An appeal that will fail. You, yeah, 100%. I mean, does it really matter at this point? The dude has lived a yeah, long life, I mean, you know? It, yeah, He was exactly. born in like... What was it 48 1948 i mean that it, he's older than my dad would have been he's it is like fucking he's still got this long hair as if he's still you know embracing you know the hippie culture from the 60s or you know some hair metal singer he looks like this hippie drummer guy in jacksonville named john i i, I guess i won't say his <laughs> last name but he looks just like him yeah um trying to see when this guy was born to see how old he is now. Rodney Alcala. Wikipedia. Good old Wikipedia. Dude, this motherfucker's 76 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the point of execute? I mean, you've let him live his whole life, dude. If you execute him at this point, he died of natural causes, for fuck's sake. God, that guy's old. Almost 80. More than likely, he probably will die in prison what? before he gets actually uh, executed by lethal injection. Why is it that assholes live forever? What is it about being an asshole that gives you this, like, vitality gene? Well, it's not necessarily true. I mean, there there are assholes that die young, you know, but or, you know, live, you know, the same amount of time as the average person. But only there the are some good that die definitely... young. <laughs> so that was the case of the serial killer the dating game serial killer um another sick fuck serial killer you know what can i say uh i would hope the dating game uh after that appearance had a much tighter background check i wonder how long the show went on for after that it went on for a good amount of time after that and even had revivals and stuff like oh, that oh god all right, now we're moving on to Mike's pick for this week, which is yep. the case of John Addis. It's another uh, segment from season 12. Uh, I picked this one because it's another uh, decent case that deals that has a pretty entertaining reenactment and uh, deals with a serious, just straight-up individual that... Um, you definitely want to punch straight in the face. <laughs> and, and the actor who portrayed him, too. Yeah. So this is uh, the case of John Addis, who has an alias as John Edwards. Sergeant Jim McCann and John Addis worked together as detectives for the Alaska State Police in the 1970s. This is something that makes him even more of a piece of shit. Because he was a, a cop. So at the time, he was married to his first wife, Jody, who later divorced him because of domestic abuse. Like, it was so bad, like, in the reenactment, he was just chewing her out, giving her all kinds of shit, that she eventually was like, I had enough of this. Like, I, I she got out of the fucking car. Like, she opened the door and jumped out of a moving vehicle to get away from this fucking guy. Which, is, uh, I mean, I get, you know... 
the dude being an asshole and all that. But dude, I mean, what, what, you know, what are you doing? Why, why would you jump out of a movie ve- ve- vehicle? And then apparently she still ended up getting caught by him after that. He still found her, caught her, dragged her back into his pickup. But then they eventually still got a divorce. I, it sounds like his original wife really uh, got lucky that she didn't become the first victim of this fucking guy. Well, they were talking about how his 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 you know violence you know w- was escalating constantly. Yes, yeah. So the couple had lived in a cabin in in the remote woods that didn't have running water or heat. Well, that that. I mean, I don't think that's what's to blame for his mood swings, but I could definitely say this. <laughs> There's a lot of people where if they were in that situation, they wouldn't be too happy either. I wouldn't be. Would you? <laughs> no. Addis enjoyed hunting caribou in the Alaskan wilderness, but he was also a talented young detective with a mind for forensic science. He was so gifted that he instructed law enforcement from all over Alaska in crime scene analysis. So this guy was kind of like the Alaskan Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) At the time, no one knew that he was also physically abusive and controlling towards his wife, Jody. One day, Addis got into an argument with her. She said she wanted to leave him and jumped out of their car. He chased her down and threw her back into into the truck. However, she was able to escape and was granted a divorce. So I guess she did escape. But that's... They didn't really detail how she escaped from the second... I guess hitchhiked. I they look kind of looked like they're in the middle of nowhere. I'm surprised he didn't like. I don't know. But he chased her down and threw her back into the truck, so she escaped from the truck again. Like they don't really give you that detail on how she escaped this for good. Maybe after the divorce, Addis quickly remarried, and his personality turned from bad to worse. He abandoned his wilderness lifestyle and became a middle class homemaker, and soon quit his job at the state patrol. He was extremely abusive towards his third wife. Then he abducted his four children from his first marriage, and he fled to Michigan, where he was involved in several robberies. He was eventually arrested and served one year in prison for parental child abduction. What about the robberies? He didn't serve any time for the robberies, apparently. Over the next decade, he jumped parole in Alaska and went throughout the United States posing as a fitness instructor, screenwriter, and novelist. What a douche. (laughs) What a wannabe. Like, doesn't that... That just screams douchebag. I'm a fitness instructor, I'm a screenwriter, and I'm also a novelist. It's like like he wanted to, like, beef up his uh, speed dating profile. Yeah. You know, like, I am everything to everyone. I'm... I'm fucking you know mr right you know like i totally superficial he was a master at changing his identity which helped him keep above the law in 1995 he obtained another identity john edwards no relation to that fucking kooky guy (laughs) who hosted that show that was surprisingly really popular for a while uh the crossing over oh yeah crossing over shit i remember that wasn't uh yeah the, the guy who speaks to dead people? John Edwards was also a, a presidential candidate. Yeah, mm-hmm. Democratic presidential candidate back in the day. So during during that same time, he met divorcee Joanne Albanese at a Las Vegas gym. So <laughs> Joanne Joanne's friends apparently uh, 
let her know about this guy. And the reenactment is is pretty funny. Like they're they're these these gals are not going to win any awards for their acting. <laughs> um. So her friend is all talking to her. He's like, "Oh yeah, this guy John. Like he's just so good. He's it's perfect for you. You know, he's he's charming. He's charismatic." And so they hit it off. He told her that he had no family and he was never married. At first, Joanne and John seemed very happy together. However, cracks soon emerged in the relationship. John paid for nothing and lived off of Joanne's earnings. And Joanne and her friends noticed that John had a hair-trigger temper. He was also controlling and abusive. The reenactment, like the actor who plays John in this... It's also not really the best acting, but it adds to the entertainment. Yeah, factor. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and not, I mean, not only it was his acting bad, but he also didn't even look anything like the actual guy. No, he didn't. He really didn't. But uh, it was. They're in like some food they, court or something. Yeah. And he's like, they they gave me strawberry and I wanted vanilla or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, well, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, shut she's up. Like, no, she's like, yeah, she's like, it's okay. It's all right. No, it's not. I got her order wrong. <laughs> so like, well, it's not a big deal. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like the same kind of uh, you know, like like PG um kind of like language that yeah. that, that you know would would also you'd also see on unsolved mysteries where it's like you're just a piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like nobody talks that way, but you know, it's it's network television, so you know. They have to say shit like that, dopey mm. shit like that. So on August 19th, 1995, uh, Joanne vanished from her home in Las Vegas with Edwards. Uh, actually, I'm going to mention real quick, uh, one of the investigators who was talking about this case mentioned that John would even follow her to the bathroom. Like, this is how controlling this guy was. Like, he would actually go with her to the bathroom. Yeah, and I was actually mentioning, like, I've known, like, I've known chicks who've been in relationships with dudes that uh, were, were on that level of controlling. And it's like, how, I don't know. I, I know this is, like, kind of, like, a hacky slash politically incorrect thing for, like, especially a guy to say. But it's like, how naive do you have to be to, like... You know that you know you're in in a bad situation. You know it's not right. You know it's fucked up, and and, and yet you you stay. You remain. I don't know. I've just gotten to this point now where as soon as anybody pulls any kind of like controlling, because I've been yeah. I've been in a controlling relationship before, Cause and because I, I think I I think uh, people remain in those relationships because I actually I took it was a sociology class or something that would that we we discussed this topic. And I, and I read some things about it. A lot of it has to do with the financial situation um, or the fact that, you know, there's a family involved, you know, the children. Um, and honestly, some in some instances, it has to deal with the with the personality of the individual. Some people are more gullible. Some people are more malleable and easily manipulated. And it's harder for them to break out of that. So, 
everyone deals with it differently, but but I totally understand where you're coming from because it's like this. It you, you see this kind of stuff, and you're like, as soon as the guy's like following you to the bathroom, like, like that's like a level of control that goes way past the norm. Like, are there some females out there who who are like, oh my god, look just how much he cares about me. He he even follows me into the bathroom. That's hot. Like. I mean, like, what the fuck, you know? I could get some people have low self-esteem, and if someone's obsessed with you on that level, it's like, yeah, it, it, it is it is kind of confining, but at the same time, it's kind of, you know, it makes you feel comfortable because you have... That just makes me think of that SNL uh, commercial parody about the love toilet. <laughs> you even... You, you uh, share... A, you sleep together. You even bathe together. Why not share the most intimate lo- moment of them all with the love toilet? <laughs> and it's this like double-sided <laughs> toilet where you can like just sit side by side and take a shit. Oh god. <laughs> That's disturbing on so many levels. <laughs> it's a hilarious uh, commercial parody though. Their commercial parodies it's, it's were great. better than any of their like normal sketches. It has uh, Kevin Nealon and Victoria Jackson as the couple. Yeah, it's it's definitely check that. I, th- I I don't know if it's probably not on YouTube because a lot of classic uh-huh. SNL for some Taken reason down. is not on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, it it's on. Uh, it might be on their website though. It might be on NBC's uh, SNL. Website. Which I'm sure definitely. I'm sure you have to subscribe to it and all that bullshit. Not necessarily. Like a lot of the clips they have, you 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 can watch them. I think you have to watch like a quick ad or something mm. before it. But um, but that's. But I mean, really, like, other than, like, a parody, you know, like the love toilet, like, it's not meant to be taken seriously, but th- th- this guy would probably be like, that's exactly what we need. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm not trying to, like, victim blame or any of that new, the, no. any of that new fucking terminology that's come up in the past fucking however many years, but... Victim shaming or blaming, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not trying to no, do that, just... but it's like, dude, clearly this guy's just a toxic vial of shit who's never going to change so why hitch your cart to that that garbage truck of an individual you know it, at some mm. point it's like it, it it does fall on you a little bit you know at certain points like it's like you know you know maybe or maybe if they deceive you because a lot of times they do you know guys, yeah, they deceive you. these shitty guys will like start off because they're such like manipulators they start off being exactly how they uh they know that you want them to be and then mm-hmm. the more they feel they have a control of you the more they let their real person out. i mean I, honestly every, yeah. and everybody and does it, that and to it a certain can also extent. happen with the opposite side you know with 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 girls oh it like, happened to me it happened men. to me i was in a fucking yeah. controlling relationship with this chick my the my first real girlfriend she mm-hmm. it, it got to the point to where she would bust into the bathroom when i was in there and uh because i was trying to text someone who was just a yeah. friend of mine, but happened to be female. She'd like bust into the bathroom when I was in there. And she's like, who are you texting? And I'm like, I got to where I was afraid of her. And what I was yeah. afraid of was her ability to pull the plug on our relationship and mm-hmm. make me feel sadness that I did not want to feel. Yeah. So, so it was like I was an emotional prisoner. Because mm-hmm. obviously she wasn't going to beat me up or anything. But I, I knew that at any time, she, you know. And then, you know, God, I just remember dating this this girl and, and though we were really good friends before we dated like we just did not work out as a couple mm-hmm. i remember yeah there i would say something innocent or we would get into some kind of 
something that sets the other person off and she she would just get quiet and awkward and and we wouldn't talk the whole rest of the time until she felt like okay now now we can discuss this and now we can talk it over and back then i would say something it would piss her off or it would make her jealous or she would get upset and then she wouldn't talk to me, and I'd think in my mind, oh, great, now how many hours am I going to have to sit in fucking silent treatment with her until mm-hmm. she decides that she wants to discuss this shit? And it was all on yep. her terms, of course, you know, because it was all about... It was a way for her to, to have control. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I couldn't leave either. That wasn't an option for me. Like, I couldn't get in my truck and go, because if I did that, then it would turn into this even bigger drama thing where she's like, well, where are you going? What the fuck? You know, it... it uh-huh. Yeah, it, it got. I mean, really, you just with, like with anything else in life that you get. Did she eventually just break up with you? Or no, did you I, I finally with... got the stone. Like that's what I was saying. Yeah. I you fi- I finally hit rock bottom with her, or where uh-huh. you know everybody hits that point where they hit rock bottom where enough is a fucking enough. Mm-hmm. For me, unfortunately, it took one year and eight months, but I finally got to the point to where I was like, I've fucking had it with this bitch, and I didn't care how bad it hurt or, or what we were going to go through. I needed to cut the fucking cord from mm-hmm. her once and for all. And when I finally did, it was just like, I felt bad for a few weeks, but man, once I was done, I look back now and I'm like, God, that was like, that was the best thing I've ever. Yeah. Can you imagine like, if you can't kept that going oh, yeah. and then, you know, yeah. And you just, and like, honestly, essentially just became her bitch. Yeah. And then you got married and then, you know, you're just, and I look back at that relationship and I should have honestly ended it like after like six months, you know, the yeah. fact that I stayed so long was just showed uh-huh. you how naive I was. But well, I mean, because there there are there are, there are relationships like that where they just control it. Either it's it's the male or the female in the relationship and then it leads to marriage and then it's just years, decades of just this existence where you're not really in love with one another there's just one individual who's in love with the idea of how having power over the other person yeah and i say all that to basically say that i learned from that experience and i've never been in that experience again in any of my relationships any time in fact any of my friendships anytime anybody starts getting controlling over me or starting to be like jealous that I'm not giving them all, you know, as much time as they feel they deserve from me. I either give them a stern talking to about that shit, or I just cut them out completely. If you're going to be in my life in any significant way, you have to realize that I have a very busy schedule and that I don't have a lot of time for you. And it's not a personal thing. It's just, I don't, Oh yeah, it's anybody, you know, the only t- person I make the most time for is my bandmate. And that's because we have a common goal that we're trying to uh-huh. accomplish, you know? And it's like, we are both yeah. over the clock in our age when we feel like we have to make up for lost dicking around, you know, in our 20s. So it's like, I just don't <laughs> have a lot of time to fuck around with this shit. And so anytime anybody starts getting like, well, you you never, ha- we never hang out and, and, you know, blah, 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 and this and that and the other. And it's like, yeah, dude, I, I don't hang out with anybody that much. I don't believe you. Well, I don't care if you believe me. Bye. Bitch, bye. <laughs> Ain't got time for your drama that you're starting to tr- you're trying to start right now. Like, fuck yeah. that. Anyway, yeah. I dig- so, I digress. So I mean, 
But I, but I I see where you're coming from. I think it's because you've been in a relationship like that. So when you see this kind of stuff on unsolved mysteries or other things, you're just like, get out of there. Like it's just this whole sort of just like it's like it's like you're watching a horror film, right? Yeah. It's like you're watching a horror film and they're going into the basement and you're like, get, get don't go in the basement. Like get out of there. So on uh, August uh, 19th, uh, 1995, Joanne vanished from her home in Las Vegas with Edwards. Authorities so- soon learned that Joanne was planning to turn down his marriage proposal and end their relationship the same day that she vanished. And that might be why she vanished. She probably let him know, tried to let him down easy. He wasn't having any of it. Three days later, her car was found abandoned in a canyon near Prescott, Arizona, but no other trace of her was found. Police discovered that a truck parked outside of Joanne's home belonged to John. Strangely, there was no record of the license plate. When they searched his home, they found a wallet that was duct taped shut. I don't know about you folks. Like, if you ever find a wallet that's duct taped shut, it's probably a, a, a red flag, like a serious red flag. Yeah, or that. Can you imagine somebody, you know, going out? They pull out their wallet, and it's just duct tape shut to bring out their key or whatever and cut it open. That someone's at the gas station and they're trying yeah. to buy a candy bar, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'll be two nineteen. All right, hold on." Pull out a duct taped ass wallet. They have to cut it open with a <laughs> knife. Give them the money. They get the change back. They pull out their roll of duct tape in the other pocket. They reduct tape it shut. All right, this is the only way I know it can be safe. <laughs> In this instance, though, it's uh, because he's trying to make it so people can't easily access it. Because that's where all his fake IDs are. And his original identification. So in it, they found Alaska ID for John Addis, which they learned was his real name. They suspected that he had been angered because Joanne was breaking up with him. So he killed her and then disposed of her body and car. Like, I mean, of all the things, like, you're breaking up with me? All right, I'm gonna break this uh, bullet in your head. Like you just like I don't understand the logic. It's just like just what you should have said was I'm gonna break off this cap in your ass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a better way to put it. Um, but yeah, uh, it's I don't I don't I don't understand that mindset either. Where it's just like straight to I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> All right. If I can't have you, then nobody can, you know, and then just shoot him, stab him, strangle him, leave him for dead. So he killed her and disposed of her body in car. On October 9th, 1998, Joanne's remains were discovered over three years after she disappeared about a mile from where her car had been abandoned. Addis has been charged with Joanne's murder, but he remains at large. But there's an update. He was captured. In November of 2002, uh, investigators learned that Addis had been living in Guadalajara, Mexico, and had taken up with a 26-year-old woman named Laura Liliana Padilla. Laura's family told detectives that she had fallen in love with the handsome American John Stone. (laughs) Did you try? I mean, at least with John Edwards, there's a little bit more effort put into it. John Stone? Like, that's one of the top 
10 or top five most generic fake names out there for a guy. That that name is in a Beach Boy song called Sloop John B. It's like in one part of the song, he's like, Sheriff Johnstone won't leave me alone. Well, I feel mm-hmm. so broke up. I want to go home. And my voice cracked mm-hmm. in the middle of doing that. So it was pretty beautiful. So your voice broke up. Yeah, exactly. So she uh, fought, fell in love with John Stone and then ran off with him in 1997. For the following nine years, her family and authorities in the United States feared that she might one day meet the same horrible fate as Joanne Albanese. Sadly, on October 18th, 2006, those fears came true. Laura, along with her two children, were, who, were belie- who are believed to have been fathered by Addis, were found murdered in their home in Chiapas, Mexico. The children were ages four and seven. And they're just... Man, that just gives me... It just... It, it, made my stomach churn a little bit because it's just i mean anytime when honestly when anyone's life is taken is is just awful um but there is something about kids you know there's something about that that and i I think a, a part of that is because of how i i don't know i wouldn't say they're more important but it it's just that innocence you know, yeah, for sure. Innocence lost. That that resonates, uh, really strong, and in some cases stronger than than it does with with other, uh, people. You know, who end up being killed, and and it's not like oh well, the one's worse than the other. No, they're all really bad. It's just when it comes to like the initial, you know, shock, the initial impact, uh, and 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 I, I and it's. You see that with, for example, look at the John Bonet Ramsey case. I mean, that's still like one of the most shocking and definitely one of the most, it's still one of the most discussed true crime cases out there, especially when it comes to an unsolved case. Would it really have reached that level of infamy when it comes to, to this particular case if? If it was an if the if it was like twenty uh, two year old John Benet Ramsey, I mean it, it's something to it, it's it's definitely something that I think does. Well, I mean a twenty two year old uh, John Benet is still white and attractive, so I think it would. I yeah. think it still would make news, Mike. Yeah, it would, but I don't know if it would have the same. I don't know. It, it it might make more. It might make bigger news because all the old perverts at the uh, head of the news organizations are like, "Oh, I can actually fuck her now because she's twenty two. I definitely yeah. am way more sad that she's dead now. I don't know. I mean, I I don't think it has the same. And culture. by the way, let me let me clarify my statement so everyone doesn't think I'm some kind of like alt right whatever the fuck. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a known fact that if you're attractive and a and white. You know, if you're an attractive young white girl, the news tends to cover, give that more coverage than if it's a minority. That's just kind of like a factual statistic. So I wasn't saying that to uh, be a racist. I was, uh, I was just kind of stating kind of the facts of the yeah, a, a sad truth, really. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cases that never get talked about because you know. And so Mexican Mexican authorities they found fake identification cards and documents belonging to John Addis in the home. 
The family had apparently been living there for some time. The family had also been dead for several days when the bodies were discovered. Oh, that's just... I'm just... I'm trying to get those images out of my head. <laughs> that's just a really grisly sight. The FBI has learned that John Addis, using the alias uh, John uh, J. Charles Peterson, had most recently passed himself off as a Canadian expatriate. Patriot. Expatriate while living in Chiapas. Addis had been making a living there teaching English and tennis. Addis is believed to have checked into a hotel in Guatemala City, Guatemala, on October 14th. That city is uh, south of the Mexican-Guatemalan border, a couple hours' drive from Chiapas, Mexico. Addis's body was found in the hotel room on the, 16, on the 16th. His death was a suspected suicide pending further post-mortem reports as being investigated by police in Guatemala City. Post-mortem results proved his death to be from a heart attack. So, it wasn't suicide, he just died of a heart attack? This, this fucking guy just died of natural causes? Like, either way, it's, like, deserved far worse than that. Like, at least to go to jail, you know. To actually serve some time. To actually have have to face some justice. So officials from the U.S. State Department assisted the Mexican and Guatemalan authorities in their investigation of Addis and his new family. Addis's true identity and death was proven through a post-mortem fingerprint comparison. The case is now considered closed. I would say it's uh, definitely an update that uh, it's quite sobering. <laughs> one of those sobering updates. Not one of those where it's like, yeah, we got him. So yeah. Um, just, that awkward silence. Yeah, folks, I'm just kind of having a brain. a sign that uh, we're probably uh, nearing the end of this podcast. Um there were a lot of there were a lot more brain f- farts going on for, with the both of and us. And so now I've reached <laughs> the end. I've faced the final curtain, and something, something, my friend, I'll state my case on which I'm certain. I blew the fancy load. Of creamy ranch in Mike's face now. And through all, all of this, I did it my way. God, I, I literally, <laughs> I literally switched to like seven different keys there. Yeah. I like, I was doing an interpretive thing. Mm-hmm. Guys, don't let this be any don't let this be any reflection of like my actual singing voice cuz when, when when I actually try <laughs> it's decent and totally like listen to my band. If you want to see something really hilarious, there's this uh, video that's on the internet that has like uh it's like some public access recording of a church uh not necessarily a church group, but it's this gal who's introducing I, I one of the the members of the church singing <laughs> and he's like missing words. He's inserting things in there that aren't in the song. It's the funniest shit ever. <laughs> it is so funny. And he's like off key. Oh yeah. It, At churches you get, you get, a, you get a lot of really untalented people who are not qualified to be doing music who do that shit. Um, I mean the church I used to go to, 
there's this guy named Larry, and every time he wanted to sing, it, it was just like huge eye roll because he always wanted to go on stage in front of everyone and sing. And mm-hmm. oh my god, I still remember his awful singing voice <laughs> to this day. He was like this, fa- you know, just your typical father with you know two two yeah. two kids who were like you know teenagers uh-huh. or whatever. And I was like, I don't know, seven or eight. And he'd get up on stage and he's just his voice. Even my parents on like the drives home, they'd be like, God, that guy is awful. <laughs> like he's such an awful singer. Do you remember kind of how bad he was? Like, do you have an idea of like Yo, yeah, it's just what he it, sounded it, like? It's like if you just took the tune and you like you took the melody to the tune and you like tuned it down a few semitones down to where it's just off on every single note. Like like your voice is not locking in with the melody at all. Like you're still attempting the melody, but mm-hmm. none of the none of the notes are locking in with the music because your brain is able to decipher that shit. Like, yeah. qu- like, like you know, in the blink of an eye, your your brain's able to process a sound and be like, "Does this sound uh, appealing to me, or is this a good sound? Does this go together?" And your brain is also able to, to detect dissonance. This is a bad yeah. sound. This is a negative sound. This is making me feel bad. <laughs> As a singer, it's probably hard for you to recreate, you know, stuff like that, right? Yeah, it's like one of those things where uh, once you get good enough at something, I mean, I, I sang badly just now, but I can't recreate that guy's bad singing. I can only <laughs> pull it out of my ass and do it like that if I'm not warmed up or have a particular tune in my head. Yeah. But um, yeah. Like guitar, like when I was doing the video on my YouTube channel, Big Fucking Truck, the real redneck parody, uh, I had a part. I really like that one. Yeah, a lot of people do. I'm surprised it doesn't have more views, which is the case with most of my fucking videos on my channel. That's another story that I'll bitch about later. Um, I I wanted a part in the song where I played a guitar solo, but played it really badly. And I found it impossible now that I know, you know, knowing how to play the guitar and I've played it for over 15 years. It's like impossible for me to play it shitty. I just, my muscles won't let me play it badly. Like the technique will, will not allow me to go against it. Yeah. So what I had to do was I had to flip the guitar over to where my left hand was strumming and my right hand was fretting the chords or the Uh strings and then I felt like a beginner all over again because your muscles are only trained for this that specific yeah. uh, task. So my right hand is normally my strumming hand and my left hand is my fret hand. So when I flip the guitar around, now the my hands that are used to doing this one specific thing are having to do completely different things and I was e- easily able to crank out a shitty guitar solo. Because that was smart. Yeah. That was a, that was a smart uh, fix on your part. Yeah, like it was. It, it literally when I flipped it like that, it felt like I was on day one, lesson one of playing guitar. Like because your muscles are not at all attuned to being able to make mm. the shapes necessary and even to strum yep. it necessary. But then you flip it around to my right hand, you know, and it's like. You know, like riding a fucking bicycle. It's it's effortless. It's crazy mm-hmm. how that works. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, those were our cases for this week, and uh, I am I am still hungover, and I feel like I I I plowed through this the best I fucking could, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Well, it helped that I was I was I was I, I'm I'm tired, so 
it helped that you know we both were a little bit not. Yeah, it was just in general one, not not a, totally. not a good episode. Not 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 <laughs> funny. Not not entertaining. No, I. Hey, I I think I think there were some gems. No, here I, and there. I think it was I think it was pretty good actually. Was, was yeah. it our best? No. <laughs> no. Was it our worst? No. no. I don't, no. actually we should have a vote on our uh, group on. I would probably say a lot of our earlier stuff was yeah was is some of our well, yeah well because a i i hadn't got as good at editing out mike interrupting me and b mike mm-hmm. just interrupted me more and now he interrupts me mm-hmm. less and i edit out a lot of the interruptions you guys think that mike's gotten really good <laughs> and he has he has improved but i also do a lot of editing to make it well i mean it's it's one of those natural things it's just when we're if we were in the same yeah, room together yeah. it would probably be uh, a lot easier to pick up on those things because right. a lot of the interrupting is like oh i just have something on my mind and he's saying something and then in the process of trying to get it out while it's still relevant you know instead of like say something like five minutes later when we've already like gotten past that yeah, particular part it's not of the as reading, impactful it's not as impactful and then it kind of it kind of feels like it's a waste of time in some ways. So I try to make it a little bit more spontaneous and when you when you're doing that that's when you get more of the talking over sort of thing. It's because you're it's it's just what happens when you're trying to be spontaneous. But I I picked up on some more of like subtle things, you know, with how, you know, Josh talks and things like that that enable me to trim my uh, interruptions down at least a little bit. Yeah, and I just kind of let Mike go on his rolls when I feel he's on a roll. Like, <laughs> all right, he's on that that train track and it ain't going to stop till the track runs out, so pretty much have to let it happen. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I let Josh do the same if he's on one of those rolls too, so goes both ways yeah so anyway uh join our facebook group go to uh, facebook.com type in uncovering unexplained mysteries you'll have to answer a few questions to make sure you're not completely dim and once you get in there there's some really cool shit that i'm not going to mention on here that you should really check out uh and not to mention it's not like those other facebook groups where you join it and it's completely dead there's constantly active members in there who are who have a the same love of unsolved mysteries as you might or just mysteries in general, because um, we talk about stuff that's, you know, just overall mysterious in there. And every now and then a psycho will post some crazy bullshit, and it's very entertaining to me to watch it. <laughs> I deleted, I let it I let it hang out there for a few hours before I delete it, but I love when people just come by our group and post. I remember one time some some psychic lady posted a live stream of her doing like a psychic read. Or, I didn't know about oh, yeah. that. And then there's this other guy in our group who posts this um, Bible stuff, but and and, and I, I always let him do it and I don't delete him or his posts for the simple reason of his voice is like ASMR to me. I don't know what it is, but he's uh-huh. got this very soothing, like southern draw, and I could just listen to him yeah. talk about anything and hmm. and, and it just soothes me. So I, I just I just hmm. I mean he hasn't posted in there <laughs> in a long time, but um, yeah. yeah, anyway. Um Or or that guy who would just join to try to uh, shill his band. Oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was ancient history but anyway uh 
Yeah, it is. But, you know, that that's the kind of... But for the longest time, that was, like, the closest we ever had any sort of drama. I had to kick out one guy because he made fun of somebody's, like, rape experience or something. Yeah, that one was like, whoa, yeah. like, dude, like, what the... Yeah, that, that's, yeah I'm not going to tolerate that. I mean, I, I'm a... I'm I'm not a PC guy, you know, and and you're not one of those people that's wanting to cancel Dave Chappelle. Right. I'm not I'm not that know? guy, but at the same time, you know, that's just so fucking rude. Yeah. You know, I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen that special yet, but I've heard good things. I I watched a little some clips like the infamous clip that apparently pissed so many people off and I loved it. It was great cuz he was he was right. You know, he he did, he was doing the impressions. And he, they were like, everyone in the audience is all like, because he sounded like a stuck up white guy. And they're all like, oh, you know, it's Trump. Trump. But he's like, no, that's you. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched the special. I, I, you know, it was pretty funny. It had some pretty funny moments yeah. in there. Just like, you know, any other. I mean, dude, it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like, I feel like all these blue checkmark Twitter people have like, I mean, I get the whole. I, I can see why some people were offended by the Chinese man thing or the trans stuff, but he's like, always done that shit though. But he's always done it's that. It's like yeah. people wait until, and, and it's a joke. Like honestly, I don't think he has like legitimate hate towards trans people. Well, he, he or, actually made a good point in his documentary. There's a yeah. joke that he, he comes to where. He's talking about his, I mean, his special his time. Yeah. He's talking about when he was. Oh, yeah. Did I say documentary? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. He's talking about <laughs> in his special um, when he was on the Chappelle show and he would have to talk to this lady at Standards and Practices, which is basically if you put a TV show on network yeah. television there, you have to run it by Standards and Practices. Mm-hmm. There are certain things you can and cannot say on national television. Mm-hmm. So they would always have to run everything through Standards and Practices. And one time the lady goes, Dave, I think I think it's a great episode, um, but but uh, you can't say the word faggot. And mm-hmm. uh, Dave Chappelle's like, why can't I say the word faggot? And she goes, because you're not gay, Dave. And he goes, oh, OK. And then he goes, as I'm walking out, I stop and I turn around. And I go, well, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. How come you guys <laughs> let me use the word, you know, the and he says the N-word, yeah. you know, N-I-G-G-E-R, uh-huh. I'm not going to say it, but yeah. he's like, how come you guys yeah. let me say that? And she goes, well, that's because you're, I think she says something like, that's because you're uh, black or something. He goes, yeah, I'm black, but I'm not a, you know, N-I-G-G-E-R or whatever. And yeah. it, it, basically, the point that I got from that joke was, People are not going to bitch and moan about anything until you hit them close to home. They mm-hmm. will laugh about anything that doesn't a- apply to them. But as soon as mm-hmm. you s- make a joke that applies to them in their world, that's when all of a sudden they get outraged. Yeah. You know, it's like the. Well, I mean, with the Chinese thing, his wife is Chinese. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I don't. It's like, yeah, it's offensive, it's comedy, it's a joke. A joke is when you say something that you're not serious about. I'd rather comedy be offensive than be censored, and just like any other form of art. I mean, I watched a documentary for my art history class about degenerate art, the the, uh, degenerate art exhibit in Nazi Germany. I don't know if you've heard about this. No, I have not. What's that about? But in Nazi... 
in the thirties, you know, the, the start of the, the reign of the Nazi party, uh, Hitler, who himself was a failed artist. He actually was an artist. I know he had done paintings and at the time in this particular time period, there was a rise of this form of art called German expressionism. And it was showing the, the world underneath, not the world outside, but the world underneath in terms of like paintings that showed angst or showed psychological feelings uh, through pained expressions, through unnatural lenses. Well, Hitler, that was uncomfortable to him. He doesn't like that. He wants things to be of the natural world. For him, anything that isn't of the natural world, including art, that is not painting in ways that are from the natural world, is degenerate. Which is ironic because you look at a lot of his pieces that he was so big on, like his big, giant, strapping, steroid, abusing uh, Greek gods, uh, you know, as he had these statues that he loved so much of these just jacked dudes, <laughs> jack naked dudes and with features and everything that are as unrealistic as humanly possible. But to him, that was still like the natural ideal because that's what he believed the Aryan race was. So he spent all of his money uh, building this uh, art museum where he would house the works that he deemed to be pure and worthy of uh, the praise and adulation of German society. Anything that wasn't pure or in his mind was degenerate, he put into this other exhibit that was, I think, like across from the... uh, like across the pond or something. It was one of those things where they were pretty close to one another, but one was far, far, you know, away, and the other one was... So he had this German, this exhibit, and all of these artists from uh, Germany as well as from outside of Germany who had art that was uncomfortable and had was dealt with the abstract, he put in this, this degenerate art exhibit. And there'd be like spray paint, uh, spray painting on the wall that would be like insulting the art and the artists. Of course, he would be painting almost everyone as a Jew, including individuals who actually were German, and you know they weren't Jews, like they or or they weren't even like there was there was clear proof that they were not Jews, but didn't matter to him. They made art that he didn't like, so they're Jews. Um, including a member of the party, Emil Nolde, who was actually a one of the first members of the Nazi party. In fact, the exhibit featured mostly his art. Like the the, the uh, artist that had the most art featured in the exhibit was him, and he and he was being labeled as a Jew and all these other things. And he's like, I'm a Nazi. And Hitler's like, I don't care. Jesus. Um, this was a really popular exhibit. It, it not only destroyed the integrity of these of the art, it destroyed the integrity of the artists. It was very claustrophobic and cramped on purpose 
paintings were just jumbled together and stuck one after another. There was a sculpture that you literally had to avoid getting hit by to get into the exhibit, which of course would have definitely damaged it. That sounds wild. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. That. Yeah, there's a documentary on YouTube that actually details the the uh, degenerate art exhibit and the Nazis versus German expressionism. Um, and say, that was a, it was a real eye opener. And sadly, we're not that far from that. We're not nearly as far from the degenerate art or or anything like that as we really should be. Because think about it. There's a lot of things where oh, that's offensive to me or that that effect, I, I don't like that because it, it has a religious bent to it that I don't agree with. And there's a, and for me, art just like comedy or film or just opinions in general, it should never be censored. Everyone should be able to think of their own free will when they create these things. It's one of those things where it should be left to be unique. It, and it's and it should not have to be censored or shelved or burned or destroyed just because it's uncomfortable to people or it's something that they personally don't prefer. See, there's a difference between not liking something and something being bad for society, you know? Uh, to me, it all comes down to the uh, dis- distribution companies who still have the balls to release this stuff, regardless of yeah. what all the echo chambers on social media are saying. Mm-hmm. Because at the, at the exactly. end of the day, if Dave Chappelle's coming to Jacksonville, you bet your ass I'm going to see him. I don't give a fuck what... I mean, I, I'm not offended, so I, you know, whatever. But like, and I guarantee you, thousands of other people would go out and buy tickets too. Because at the end of the day, yeah. uh, regular people don't care about that stuff. They don't... They're not that the the vocal minority, as it were. You know, they they don't mm-hmm. care about it. They just view it as funny. Their heads in the right space when it comes to that. Yeah. And you know, it's just social media where you have these like blue check marks and all these you know, yeah. all these like uh, uh, elites who are uh, you know ma- making all these uh, all this all this rah rah. And- I find it so ironic that they're talking about bettering society. That's one of their main arguments. You know, this is for, this is, this is a, you know, we are fighting for a better world. And what they are doing is the complete opposite. They're fighting for a world that is no longer unique. They're fighting for a world that is centered around their. Right. It's, it's, it's unique. It's unique if you play by their guidelines in their world, by how they want. And that's not true uniqueness in order to have a true unique world and everything in it. You have to embrace these different opinions, these different senses of humor, these different forms of art. And by uh, the way, since when was it a bad thing that art made you angry or offended you? When when was since when has that become a negative thing? It, it, to my knowledge, art has always supposed to elicit a fucking feeling, whether it's happiness, sadness, yeah. anger, outrage. That's the fucking point. If art doesn't elicit a reaction, then you've done fucked up. If someone looks at your art yeah. and has no, uh, you know, whatever, then you done fucked up. But if you piss someone off, if you've outraged someone, if you made them laugh, if you made them sad, then you fuck. Then you're an artist. That's all there is to it. 
And, you know, that's that's really all I have to say about it. Yeah. But anyway, if you want to uh, contribute to our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You'll get the podcast early. You could suggest future topics for us to do. And you'll get a nice firm slap on the ass from me with a wink in, in my eye to you and a big <laughs> thanks for the support. Um, and that's on our lowest tier, too, that you'll get that. You just have to be in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and finally, if you want more of me and Mike, but maybe you don't like the whole together thing, you want like separate Josh and Mike and talking about completely different shit, well, then follow us on YouTube, you big dummy. You can find Mike at youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's the movie guy. If you haven't learned that by that obscure ass scary movie three reference earlier, he knows a lot about fucking movies. Mike, what was the last video you did? The last the last video I did was actually a vlog where I talked about, you know, there were, I opened some gifts somebody sent me, talked about some of my thoughts on some movie trailers. and But the last review I did was for a film called Ready or Not. That's a newer one, isn't it? Yep. Okay. Yep. That's cool. Well, go check that out. People are constantly sending Mike's ass shit. And I mean, yeah, I get sent stuff every now and then, but not as much as Mike. I'm not upset about it. I'm I'm only bringing it up just to just to bring it up. No other reason. <laughs> I don't think you would be into, you know, a lot of the the films that I Yeah, get, well, they could send sent. me video games or I don't know, money. <laughs> just just send me a box that has money in it. I'll tell you what, man, one of our listeners... You're begging for that to get stolen. Yeah. One of our listeners, man, back in the day, I don't know if she still listens, Ashley from uh, Canada, she sent me three, like, fucking 30-pound boxes full of Canadian yeah. chocolate. Mm -hmm. That, was, that wow. was the start of my downward spiral into weight gain. That was just insane. It was when, when you... nuts. She gave me like 10 of each thing, and there was like 20 different things. It was insane. But I loved it. Thank you, uh, Ashley. Anyway, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Also the same name as my band. The last video I did was uh, I revived my video game series, and I talked about popular video games that I could just never get into. Um, and I've, I, I have a wide variety of examples from new to old to middle period of gaming. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. There's cer certain games come around. Stuff like Halo. Yeah, I could <laughs> never get into Halo. I mean, even, even when it came out, I just saw it as like yeah. a third rate fucking first person shooter. I thought there, okay, the thing about it is Halo. It, I guess, uh, I guess a big part of why, it's different for me is because I didn't really play that many first person shooters. Yeah, I had. Maybe and a little bit of and Doom you're, before. You're, you're the demographic that I was talking about in the video of all these yeah. non-gamers who, when <laughs> Halo came out, were like, oh my god, this is the best game ever. And it's like, no, there have been so many better games that's come out before this game. But that was so many people's intro into video gaming and first person shooters in general. Yeah. So it's like, I get it. But I just were, I was annoyed by those people back then. Now I understand, but at the time they annoyed me. Yeah, I, I could, I could see why they they annoyed you. Just a bunch of you'd be like, you're just a bunch yeah, of yeah, exactly, noobs, yeah. You know, like, bunch really, of, yeah, yeah. I remember my first beer. You know, like like fucking. <laughs> now I just look at the game like I just don't, 
I just think it's a very lackluster game. And I thought that at the time, yeah. too. That's that's one of several uh, games. It, on I feel you on other stuff, though. Like, I never really got into Call of Duty. Never really no, got Call in, of Duty wasn't you know. on the list. I actually like Call of Duty a lot. Oh, you like yeah, Call of Duty? You know, it's funny because like I was I, I literally played Call of Duty to mock it because I was going to do a video. Yeah. Like mocking it. <laughs> and it's just a damn solid game that it controls really well. It's it's uh, a lot of really. What about some of the other spinoffs? Like that's kind of what I I'm, haven't, I haven't, I'm not, not talking about like the original. Like the those. original is, is like the original games like they are much different. Call of Duty Modern so, Warfare is the one is this is the specific uh yeah, spinoff. Oh, it's not really a spinoff, mm-hmm. but it was it was that iteration which became the most popular. And and yeah, I mean, it's just a really good game. And I I couldn't I couldn't talk <laughs> shit. I was like, this game's fucking awesome. And you know, it makes sense that yeah. a game that would sell so many copies, you know, would it's not yeah. gonna suck, you know. Um, but now I think you mentioned Super Smash Brothers. No, right? no, that was someone in the comments mentioned that. I I, okay. I got into that game for a while. I mean, Melee on GameCube. I saw. I mentioned mm. games like Metal Gear Solid. You should still watch the video because I go in depth on these. Metal Metal yeah. Gear Solid, uh, Gears of War, uh, Mass. Yeah, Gears of War. I can because I I know Gears of War was something that uh, mm. my stepdad and his friend were into, but like I don't I don't know. I I couldn't really get into it either. Like I wasn't really into the whole like jacked up like cartoonishly roided yeah. up characters yeah, I didn't, honestly i didn't like that either that just screamed like you know m- like like little dick energy you know like like <laughs> yeah. i'm i'm j- i i am a a an overweight computer nerd but in this game i'm this roided up badass with this machine gun uh chainsaw with the fucking chainsaw yeah, chainsaw <laughs> machine gun or whatever yes yeah, so i I, did, I couldn't get into that and then uh, Mass Effect, the Mass Effect series. I just couldn't get into those. And uh, Splatoon mm-hmm. for Nintendo. I didn't really like that game. Splatoon, I, I haven't played, but it doesn't really look it's, like dude, it's, anything know, I'd be that it's into. It's kind of like that whole kitty aesthetic. And it even yeah. feels that way. I mean, you know, I don't know. Like I said, like aesthetics are big for me in a game. And if the aesthetics are off, you know, even if the game controls really well, like I just won't play it like. If yeah. I'm a bunny rabbit, you know, shooting marshmallows at enemies, it could be the most solid <laughs> game ever. But if I hate the aesthetic, then I'm just not going to enjoy yeah. playing it. So speaking of aesthetics, like, what did you think of, uh, what is it, Mighty Number no. 9? Did you ever actually play Oh, yeah, that? that was the first game I ever bought on the Wii U. I was, like, totally excited because Keiji Inafune was behind it. And, you know, he obviously mm-hmm. was kind of the father of Mega Man, although it's since come out that he didn't necessarily design Mega Man, but he had a lot of work. He did a lot of work on the Mega Man game, so I, I still consider him a big part of the... Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was his game that he was working on outside of Capcom, you know, independent release. It's going to be this, like, you know, the next Mega Man, and then I played the game, and my problem with the game was they had this weird uh, game design mechanic where you shot the enemy, and they got they became stunned and they would start they would oh, they would yeah. start flashing blue and then you had to dash through them to to fully destroy them that just sounds annoying it's yeah, kind of I, like i, I got to do that every- some of the enemies in mario games like where you jump on them and they're stunned in order to like kill them you have to jump on them a second time 
Yeah, I mean, it's just like doing that with every single enemy. And then on top of that, like just the level design didn't really feel like a Mega Man game. It felt like, mm -hmm. I don't know, it just it just felt like lackluster and in the game. Like it had the Mega Man aesthetic. Yeah, oh, totally had the Mega Man aesthetic. They got that down. That's what excited everyone because, you know. So that's one of one of those instances where a game has the aesthetic. Yeah, but that's had not the enough. aesthetic, but it was lacking in gameplay. Yeah. yeah, the gameplay was uh, was where that game really fucked up. What do you think is more important, aesthetic or gameplay? Well, gameplay, I mean, obviously, but for me, like it, it you can have a game where they're both there. You have both aesthetic and gameplay. Mm -hmm. um, some of the more updated Resident Evil games have both in spades. Now, back in the day, people would say, oh, yeah, it had aesthetic all day, but the gameplay, the tank controls... And all that were awful. Yeah. I never minded the tank controls. On it, on it, uh, anyway, guys, you can tune out by at the, at the podcast at this point. <laughs> Me and Mike are just bullshitting at this point. This, this might just be a, you know... I mean, we're already at the end anyway. And there's no point in making it B-roll. We're already at the very end. But no, I never... I, honestly, I never minded the tank controls in any of the Resident Evil games. I, I, thought, I thought they were yeah. fine. I thought the people who bitched about them were just a bunch of babies, mm. like... It's like they get used to this one way of controlling a game and like yeah. if every game doesn't fall into that exact twin stick kind of uh, control, then it's bad all of a sudden. How did you feel? What, what were your thoughts on like the Dark Souls games? And I stuff never like played that? those. I heard they were good, but I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm afraid that they're a little too into the RPG world for me. And I am not uh, I'm not really yeah. a fan of RPGs. You're not into Oblivion or anything like I that. I mean, I've or... heard they were good games, but I just I haven't tried them. Um, and that's another thing with that list I made. I didn't put a single game on there that I never actually played myself. I actually that's a, that was that that's yeah. I, I I own every single one of those games because I recorded footage straight from, you know onto my laptop. I own so I own those games and I you know I I actually wanted to get into them because like I said in the video when I buy a game I don't want it to suck. I want it to be good. So. Well, it's like it's like it's like how I feel about movies when I watch a film and I put, you know, I spend an hour and a half, two hours, sometimes even more than that watching it. I don't want it to be. Yeah. terrible. No, you I want every single game I ever play to be amazing, you know, if possible, just like I'm sure you want every single movie you watch to be amazing. Like, why? Why would yeah. you want that? You know, like you don't you don't ever want to see a bad movie or play a bad game. But, you know, you have fucking standards, you know. Yeah, I would say I if everything was starting to be amazing, I think I'd start to be questioning reality, you know? I'd start to be thinking I'm living God, in the matrix it or something. It seems like there's people out there who who have the attitude that everything is amazing and it's Oh yeah, well it's a, it's called lowered expectations. Like I I I I'm there's a Mad TV skit Lo they, yeah, like I know. I've, I've seen. I'm familiar with that one. Lowered expectations. expectations. Yeah. It, it's like a perfect uh, way to describe a lot of people's mindsets with a lot of things in. Media. I think it's more delusion than um, anything else. I, I I think it's just lowered expectations. I don't think it's necessarily delusion. I think they they just have lowered expectations about what you know they want out of a film or a video game, and they're like, "Oh, it was fun, and it didn't bore me for an hour and a half." Or there were some things that I like, so that's enough for me. Uh, and then. You know, teach their own, but I, I think there's a growing number of more vocal people and who have that particular mindset. And Hollywood and other other forms of media are taking advantage of that. And I and hey, I don't blame them. 
if you have an opportunity to just half-ass things and still make billions of dollars, that's that's why that the sucks. fuck not? That sucks that it's got to be that way, though. I know it does, but I mean, it's it, until things change. I don't see studios putting more effort into doing more original or unique content. It's, it's like all these comic book films, just because they have the MCU on it. Oh yeah, you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe label on it are making bank. And now that Disney owns Fox, they own even more of of uh, Hollywood now. It's like stuff has to like suck and be unoriginal for so long before, you know, someone, some passionate college filmmaker out there takes, you know, takes a chance and releases his his or her weird ass movie. And it like shocks people awake again. Like, oh, we don't have to like settle for garbage like we have the past 20 years. I feel like it's that way with music too. The music scene, yeah. we really need that next big like music genre or that next big shockwave to the music world cuz it's mm-hmm. it is stale right now. Stale as fuck. And people are content with it cuz they don't know any better. You know, like how many yep. times is a song used in a commercial and then that artist like sells so much more, you know, yeah. records and becomes popular because some director out there remembers the song from their childhood or they know about good music and they want to use it in the commercial. And now a song that's 20 years old that would never get radio play is now getting played all over the place in these commercials and people are getting exposed to it and they're learning about, you know, this, this stuff. And then they discover, you know, they start digging in. Oh, who did that song on that Mazda commercial? That song kicked ass. And then before you know it, they're exposed. Hey, there's other shit out here besides shitty trap rap or shitty, you know, <laughs> rap country or pop country. You know, like it. People, people just need you to be probably educated. Hear, you're probably like you hear enough of uh, country rap. Where, where oh, you're, that's all where this wedding at, was probably. today was just fucking country. <laughs> and this one guy, man, he just he would just not let go of the fact that I did not like country because because like I kept playing country songs because that's what they wanted to hear. And this guy's like. He's yeah. like, come on, man, you gotta like Garth Brooks though. And I'm like, I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I I don't. I really don't. Then the Toby Keith song came out. All right, man, you got you gotta admit, Toby Keith is good. I'm like, no, I, I I'm just not into him. I don't I don't like it. I don't like country music. Then I finally tried <laughs> to break it down to him. This guy who was supposedly a musician himself, uh yeah. I'm a guitar player. I started to learn I I start off on bass and then I switched to guitar when my buddy died, which is always a weird way to start off a story. Uh, I started to learn guitar when my buddy died. It it was literally like the second sentence out of his mouth. But anyway, I finally told him, I was like, look, man, the thing about country is it's, it's all lyric based. It's story based. It's not, the focus is not on the music. The music is simply there as a vehicle to deliver the lyrical story, dialogue, whatever. Music is in the back seat. That's country music. Me, as a musician, where music is my passion, that offends me that the music is so ignored in country. It- and, and the stories are, are you know, they honestly come across as either stereotypical or they're boring. Yeah, or they're sad. Really. 
or they're sad, or they're really depressing. Uh, (laughs) And I don't want to listen to that many depressing songs about some guy's wife dying or something. And in rock music, it's all about the energy and the power and the feel. It's Mm -hmm. It's more about the music than the words. It's about the delivery. It's about the feeling. Uh, of of the music because I mean you have the some of the lyrics in rock are the stupidest lyrics ever that make no sense why because the lyrics aren't really that important sometimes they are but it's like rock you like a hurricane like the lyrics really are not yeah they don't even rhyme <laughs> they're not the thing <laughs> no not at all you know I mean that's stroke me stroke me you know <laughs> but that's a badass <laughs> song though you listen to the music and it's like hell yeah like that song's bad you know like yeah but um. I, another thing I noticed about country too is just how defensive these singers are in all their fucking songs. Yeah. You know how many fucking country songs I hear where they're like, "That's just how we are," and if you don't like it, you can kiss my ass. <laughs> it's it's like yeah, it's like, yeah. buddy, no one cares that you go fishing and you go hunting. Well, they're placating to their audience. I just think it's so funny how like goddamn insecure they are in their. Well, I mean, it's hilarious when you have the ones where you know they're talking about how country they are and. You know, the back roads and they're, you know, driving around the ATV with the beer in their hand and, you know, talking about, you know, this backwoods kind of, you know, it's their backwoods, but like, they're not talking about lavish country, you know, life. They're talking about like the middle class. Like we're right. apart, you know, we're right there, life, you know, we're right with yeah, you. Yeah, as they live in Nashville in their fucking yeah. nice house, you know, with their fucking uh-huh. butlers and shit. It's it's like they have well first of all most of those people don't even write their own songs. Some of them yeah and and some of them aren't even actually they don't even have accents. Like they're they're not even actually from these oh, places well, what, you're talking Keith about. Keith Urban is fucking Australian. Yeah. And he's sitting there and you wouldn't ne- you never know cuz he's got that he's got that uh nice country twang. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just the country music is Fake. is a farce and every and I'm getting so tired of the argument that people make to me well, I, yeah, I agree with you. I hate modern country, but I love Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard. And, oh, do you? Do you? Can you name any song of Johnny Cash's besides, I, like, I Walk the Line and Ring of Fire and, like, Jackson? Hurt. Or Hurt. Can you name any songs mm-hmm. outside of, like, his hit, the, the cream of the crop hit songs that he's done? And, and no, they can't. They like, like, three songs by Johnny Cash, like, two songs by Merle Haggard, and, like, two <laughs> songs by Hank Williams Jr., and, you know, that to that, it's like you, you people are, are phonies. You don't really like country. You just, you, you like to, for whatever reason, act like you do. Well, it reminds me of that thing where you're talking about uh, when you talk about Elton John. And, you know, he does have a lot of shitty Oh, music, dude. But he also has some great That's songs. That, that, yeah, I mean, you know, he's one of those guys where it's like, I totally. But I would say, I would say Elton John's best songs are you know, not only lyrically better than any country song I've heard, but also uh, better when it comes to composition. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, he's musically, he's, I mean, well, Reggie White, a.k.a. Elton John, mm -hmm. is a musician first. He he doesn't write the lyrics. Bernie Taupin has has always been Elton John's lyricist. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is just a phenomenal So you have the musical and melodic prowess of a true musician- musical talent like Elton John and then you have the true raw talent of a poet Bernie Taupin mm-hmm. and when you combine the yeah. two together it's you know he's one of the biggest pop stars of our time 
of of the last mm-hmm. 50 years. So, I mean, you know, it's just one of those rare... Go see Rocket Man, folks. Yeah, I, I still <laughs> need to see already. it. I'm, I, I'm just so, like, I just see so little movies. I did... I think you'd like that one, though, because it's, it's, it's a musical fantasy, and the director combines music and film in a way that it's just stunning. It really is. Like, he... This, this is a director who, who knows how to match those two together in a way that is just it's magical and and for someone you know i i know you're probably similar to me when it comes to like when you hear music like it, it's this kind of thing where when when the film when what's on the screen is able to match so perfectly and so well with 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 the music it's just a very wonderful yeah, thing. it's like they. It's well, that's how I to... feel about music videos. Like when a great, yeah, when a great video comes together with a great song, they be, the 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 sum becomes greater than the total of their parts. You know, like yeah. you get a great music video with a. I mean, look, watch the music video for "Hurt" by Johnny Cash. Speaking of, yeah, it's a phenomenal. Oh, it's so fucking moving. Video, yeah. You know, fucking fantastic. And the story behind it is is moving and interesting too. Like, did you know that? That that was shot in what essentially I think was like a museum for Johnny Cash, but it had had been closed down for years because I think like it he couldn't pay for it or uh, it was one of those things where it got damaged or something. Oh, wow. So he they actually broke into it to shoot the video. What? Wow! Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. That's that makes it even cooler. Fuck. Yeah. That's what you this empire of dirt. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. that's really what his he was worth at that point in time. Yeah, he really took that song and made it his own. That's for sure. All right. So yeah, folks. Uh, that's our extra. You long, think we gave him? A, we think we gave him a good, a good enough, podcast. a good enough one this time around. Since we bet me and Stephanie, <laughs> we're only able to plop out like hour long episodes. But yeah. Whatever. Well, I think it's also. We haven't talked in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a minute. And I'm not hungry. I, so. I ate before the podcast, which is honestly like the biggest key for me. To, uh, you yes. know, long podcast longevity is if I don't get hungry. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Well, uh, that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, remember to vote for Dancing with Ghosts and Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries in the description of this podcast uh, so we can win best podcast in Jacksonville and best band in Jacksonville. Uh, that would really bring some legitimacy to the band and the podcast in my hometown, which would be cool. Um, and yeah, enjoy our song, The White Room, coming up next. And make sure you check out Dance with Ghosts on Spotify and Facebook. Everyone have the good a good rest of your night. See ya. I wish that we could stay in.